0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Zach Keel. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Uh, so, for our questions of Jesus, we turn to Mark 5. Uh, I'll read verse 21 through 24 and then skip down to verse 35 and read through verse 43. So, Mark uh, 5, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again into, uh, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Blessed Father, we thank you for your word. What a nourishment and life it is to us. We thank you that your word builds up our faith, makes our love flourish, and keeps us rooted in Christ and his gospel. So as we take this moment on this day to look at your word, we pray you'd bless it to our hearing, that you would give us humility and teachability, that we might grow in grace by your truth, and then go forth with encouraged and built-up hearts to live your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So as we go through this series on the questions of Jesus, we do this in part because we're exploring the skill and the masterpiece of our Lord in being able to ask just the right question. Or if you're a teacher or even a student, you know that you really can't get the right answer without the correct question. And thus we've been impressed on how well our Lord is at asking questions. That is, until we come to this one, (laughs) For our teachers will typically say, there are no dumb questions, but this question of our Lord seems pretty dumb. What is our Lord doing here? This does not seem to be one of his profound questions. Our story though, of course, includes a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and he comes to our Lord, and we see that he has a dire need. His daughter is near death, We're not told how. Is she sick? Did she get kicked by the local mule? Did she fall off a house or something? We don't know, but she is on her deathbed. Her life is hanging by a single thread. Next, Jairus shows his love. He loves his daughter, and he's willing to brave all that it takes to come and beg, O Lord, save her. We also see his faith. Note, he says, come and touch her. So far in the book of Mark, many of our Lord's healings have been happened by touch. This means Jairus knows our Lord's ministry. He's seen how his word and touch heals. And he comes with faith faith and says, Lord, if you can just touch her, she will live. We see a loving and believing father interceding for his daughters about to die of course, it is a big crowd. Jesus gets sidetracked for a moment with a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And as they're on the way, Jesus takes too long. Messengers from the ruler's house comes and they say, it's too late. The girl's dead. The doctor took too long to arrive. No good now. How sad and hopeless this is. So often you're hoping the good will come, and it does not t- come. I note that the messengers, they just, it's over. It's time to give up. Don't bother the teacher anymore. He can't do anything now. Think of the pit in Jairus' heart. His little go- daughter, death, has ripped from his arms. We see life taking another child from a mom and dad, a sad injustice, something that should not be done. A child die before their parents gives us all a side ache, and to these messengers we see that for them death is an impassable wall. It's a land of no return. They have no inkling, no hint that Jesus can do anything about it. Surely Jesus might be able to heal the sick or make a leper clean, but he has no post mortem powers. Jesus, though, hears this and he encourages Jairus. He says, do not fear, only believe. Hear the sense, probably more so, keep believing. Don't stop believing now. Sometimes fear and faith in scripture are synonymous, and other times they're opposites. Well, here they're opposites. Fear is the fear that death is ultimate, that it, is ir- it, doesn't, it can't change. It's irrevocable that this is the last period of life. But Jesus says, keep believing even in the face of death. Next, our Lord uh, creates some privacy, which uh, in Mark highlights or gives us the anticipation that something great is about to happen. He doesn't let anybody follow except three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Then, with the four of them as well as the dad still in tow, they finally reach to the, the synagogue ruler's house, and what he finds there is quite the commotion. The house is bursting with the seams, people are overflowing, and it is a frenzy of panic. Everyone is bawling and weeping and beside themselves. The death of this girl has rocked this family, this community, and hit them like a ton of bricks. Sure, there's probably some professional mourners here, but Mark does not highlight these. He just says they're all making a commotion. And here comes Jesus with his question. Why y'all crying? He's at a funeral and he asks them, why are they crying? Now at first, this seems just like a senseless question. Funerals are made for crying. What are you talking about? This at first seems like an example of what a young pastor should not do. Can you imagine going into a mother who just lost her daughter at 12 years of age and asking her, what you crying for? It's inconceivable. Next, it's insensitive to rebuke or ask why a mother is crying or family is crying, would act like the, the girl doesn't matter. No big deal that she died what's the problem? And then finally, it's just rather offensive. Death is not worth weeping for. The loss is not, does not matter. Next, after asking this seemingly dumb question, he implies that they're idiots, for he says she's just sleeping. He labels her death as just nap time. But with this, Mark really sets up for us quite the scene. Everybody's weeping and crying. Jesus steps in there. Why are you crying? And all of a sudden, there's silence. And then everybody breaks out in laughter. It's like a good scene from some romantic comedy. What are you talking about? And now everyone's laughing at our Lord for asking such a silly question. Of course, this is also scornful laughter. It excludes any sense of belief. Jesus thinks that she is just sleeping? Ridiculous. She's truly dead. In fact, the laughter is also a proof that she is dead. She's not in a coma. They know she's dead. They know how to check a pulse and see if she's breathing, and she is expired. But then Jesus goes to work. He pushes everyone out of the house, and he creates some privacy. Seven people go into a room, Six are alive and one is dead. Next, Jesus shows his tender bedside manner. One, he enters the room and he grabs her hand. Now, this would contaminate him ritually with a corpse contamination just by walking in the room and then holding her hand, which means a seven-day ritual of washing for Jesus. But this does not bother our Lord. Next, Mark honors the scene by leaving it in the original Aramaic, in the birth language of both the girl and Jesus, presumably. For example, if you know that if you're bilingual or know more than one language, in moments of deep pain or stress or emotion, you often revert to your birth language. Nurses in the maternity ward will tell you, that Mexican mothers will start speaking Spanish when the labor pains come. And so here Jesus and Mark honors her by leaving it in the Aramaic to show the intense emotion and pain of our Lord. And he says, Talitha kumi. Now, kalitha means little girl or maiden, and kumi arise. And thus this shows our Lord's pain at death, his emotion of how about how this affects him, it's interesting, there's probably an echo here to Isaiah 40, one of Isaiah's favorite chapters. For the Hebrew cognate of the Aramaic word, talitha, means little lamb. And there in Isaiah 40, it says, he gathers his little lambs in his arms, which is exactly what Jesus does here. Thus he touches her, he calls to her, and she's raised from the dead. The tomb is broken. That unpassable wall is opened. Jesus does the impossible. He makes the mouth of Sheol open, and he brings her back. The iron wall of death melts by the loving call and touch of our Savior. And thus, Jesus' dumb question is validated as the perfect question. For those who believe in him and are covered by his power, the girl was just napping. Death was not irreversible. It was not the final enemy who got the last word, but it was the enemy who was conquered and slayed. Indeed, how faith in Christ here changes and shows us that how we think about death and how we mourn has been completely changed by him. And yet what is striking here is that the bond of faith is between Jairus and Jesus, not the girl. It's not the girl's faith by which she was raised. She was dead. Rather, by the faith of the father, Jesus raised the girl from, the death, from death. Indeed, this is a warm and powerful comfort to parents whose children die in infancy. We can hear the words of the Canons of Dort here. Godly parents have no reason to doubt the election and salvation of their children who die in infancy. By the faith of Jarius, his daughter is raised. God is the God of us and our children. This, of course, this Aramaic resurrection though, foreshadows one more time when Mark will preserve Jesus' words in Aramaic at the cross. Because he was contaminated by death uh, here, he will fully taste death on the cross. When he will once again cry out in his birth language in Aramaic, my father, why have you forsaken me? And because he was contaminated here and because he will taste death fully, even the pains of hell, he wins for us resurrection as the most sure salvation. Thus his question here, as it directs us to his power, to his own cross and resurrection, challenges us and comforts us in the face of death. Why are you weeping? This reminds us that now that we are in Christ, we do not mourn like those who do not have hope. Yes, we will shed tears, because we will miss our loved ones. We will shed tears at the face of death still being our enemy, but these will not be tears of despair, tears of unbelief, but they will be tears consecrated to Jesus that he is greater than death, and that our deaths and the deaths of loved ones are now just us taking a nap until Christ comes again. Thus, beloved, rejoice even in your st- studies that your Savior has the power over death to comfort you and thus give you the ability to comfort others as they mourn the death of their loved ones. Thus, praise the Lord for his good bedside manner to comfort us in life, but particularly for life evermore. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. That your words, spoken with emotion and love, have the power to raise us from the dead, to conquer death. And this was because you tasted of death for us upon the cross. Thus, O Lord, we thank you that you died in our place, so now we live in you. And because you have conquered death, death now for us, it's sad. It's hurtful, it's painful, but it is now us falling asleep in the Lord and going to be with you. And thus, O Lord, help us then in Christ not to mourn like those who do not have hope. But may we go forth rejoicing that you are our life and comfort in this life and in death, now and forever, and all for your glory. Amen.